Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us Americans serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I'm Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I am Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, not a doctor, but a registered clinical counselor. And I live also in the greater Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd, also not a doctor, but you know, we have master's degrees. It's kind of fun. Yeah, we do. Uh, Psychotherapist from Coquitlam. Welcome you guys to this Olympic edition of the podcast. Canada, Canada, USA. Hmm. I guess uh, I guess we have to be rivals during this podcast this week. True. We'll see see who gets uh, gets the gold spot on the on the podium. See who's has to settle with silver, right? I guess so. It'll be uh, like a psychological debate. Yeah, lots of running on this podcast tonight, eh? Who's going to make the podium? <laughs> who makes the best uh, remarks? The best comments. Oh man, that means one of us is just not going to even be on the podium at all. <laughs> the other one is the bystander, the crowd. Oh, <laughs> just, yes. the positive reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, can Canada sweep the podium? Let's see what happens tonight. Let's see. Send in your votes, everybody. Info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. <laughs> Let's see who who gets uh, which spot on the vote: gold, silver, bronze. Um. Yeah, it's it's kind of exciting. I enjoy watching the Olympics. It's uh, it's kind of fun and also kind of weird this year, of course, with no fans and uh, and it's 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 funny to watch on TV. You know, everything says, of course, 2020 Tokyo Olympics. It's 2021 now. A little bit of dissonance going on there in my head. Of course, they weren't going to just reprint everything because they had to wait a year. So I get that, but uh, it's been fun. I don't know. I agree. Yeah. Uh, fond memories growing up watching the Olympics and yeah. uh, often watching very random sports. Um, but that makes you kind of dream a bit, you know, you want to get out there and it definitely motivated, motivated me to be more athletic, go throw sticks in the yard and <laughs> shoot some hoops. And that was back when I was like 21. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. It is fun. It's nice to be introduced to kind of random sports that you wouldn't normally pay attention to. And some new ones this year with the surfing and skateboarding. Uh, and the three-on-three women's basketball. Yes, right. I think the states took gold on that one. Oh, did? Did we? Mm-hmm. It is interesting to watch all that. And to, and to see the, like the three-on-three, the, the rules are different. A lot of these sports, the I don't understand the rules. I'm... I'm I'm watching these people fence. I'm not sure who's who's winning fencing, but cheering them on anyway. Uh, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun to watch this stuff, I think. I think one of the biggest stars, though, this year in the Olympics, as in a lot of sports, uh, is actually mental health. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, mental health taking center stage in... Uh, most notably in women's gymnastics and Simone Biles, who um, this is not news to anybody. Everyone who's 
and reading the news in the last week is familiar with this, but uh, she uh, withdrew from the women's individual all around uh, competition, uh, citing she needed to take care of her mental health. She was having mm -hmm. this issue, the twisties, uh, which is kind of when your, your, your head gets in the way of, uh, of your body and it can create some kind of unsafe environment up there when you're hurtling your body 20 feet in the air, twisting and, you know, who knows how you're going to land, all of that. And she decided to, to step down from that and said, I can't, you know, I need to take a break. I need to, to attend to my mental health. Uh, met with a little bit of, a little bit of pushback from some folks here in the States, at least, but also a lot of support from a lot of different people saying, good for you. Way to take care of your mental health. How was that reported up there? Did you guys hear, hear about that? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw, I think I've only seen positive comments, reflections, news articles. I don't think that I've really seen many negative but I don't like troll the comments to see what people are saying about the news articles. But as far as I, yeah, the me the media narrative that I've seen is that it, uh, it's a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's overwhelmingly positive. I know, and, and I think maybe the the few negative uh, comments that have that people have made have been sort of amplified because people kind of making an example of that. But but a few people saying, hey, look, you know, this is your job. This is this is what we. Uh, this is why we're watching, you know, I, I think uh, at least some folks, you know, network television, I'm sure are not really thrilled with it because, you know, she's a big star and there'll be more eyeballs watching her than, than other folks. But, uh, but yeah, I do. It's been gratifying to see a lot of people saying, yep, yeah, way to go. Way to, way to uh, prioritize your mental health. And then I kind of hope that that may trickle down to other areas of work life, right? Or not just for, for high profile athletes and celebrities, but for other people. You know, we have here in the States, people can take, uh, oftentimes people, uh, people's jobs will allow them to take a mental health day, uh, a day off, kind of mm -hmm. not necessarily a sick, not a physical sick day, but just a day where I just need to kind of step back and take care of my mental health. It's been sort of laughed at or chuckled at and kind of looked at with suspicion um, by some folks, but I hope that something like this with the Simone Biles, I hope this makes people take that a little more seriously and respect it a little more, you know? I agree. Yeah, there's, um, we have those two, but I think I've heard it more, companies phrase it as personal day. Mm. So mm. for whatever, you don't have to say what it is, but um yeah, being an owner of a small business, um, our staff have been open about their physical and mental health struggles. So they will come and say, hey, I need to take a mental health day. And, and that's great. I'm glad that they're open to share that much. They could just say, hey, I need to take a personal day or a sick day and no questions asked, but I'm, I'm glad they're taking care of themselves. So yeah, huge, huge. There's also like a little bit more coming up recently that I've noticed about like hustle culture mm. is like kind of the term that I've seen it referred to as. What is it? Like are you saying pestle? Hustle. Oh, hustle. 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 Do the hustle. hustle. Yeah. Hustle culture. Yeah. Sure. So the hustle. Yeah. Of like work, grind it out, uh, do extra hours, stay focused on work, neglect everything, like sacrifice your 
social life or your family life to make sure that you're getting the paycheck and advancing in your career and staying focused and um, and how that's being rejected by younger demographics now to say that's that's not healthy, that's not balanced, and no, we're not going to do that. And it's interesting because I'm like, oh, you, I can kind of see this when you reflect on it, the whole, yeah, a generational gap there where they're drawing a line and other generations are like, well, what are you doing? That's not how you advance or that's not how you work or expectations around work, the unspoken yeah. rule to stay an extra half an hour and not get paid for it. And that's not going to happen for this younger culture. They're like, no, I'm, I'm going to go home or I'm going to get paid for it. Yeah. But do you think though, Brooke, sometimes it goes to the other extreme? There's a sense of entitlement and kind of a lack of drive in terms of engaging in life. Well, I'm not too sure, right? Because I think they're kind of coming at it more like putting boundaries around work. I, don't, I've, I haven't come across anything saying like we should be working five hours a day mm -hmm. uh, or anything like that. It's just more drawing that line saying, well, I want to have balance in my life. So, yeah. Oh, five hours a day. I know that I, we look at, at some some of how Europeans work, right? With like 30 to 35 hours a week sometimes and uh, big vacations a few times a year. Um, Americans look at that and go, oh, you know, how could you do that? <laughs> That's not working enough. But wow, that sounds really nice. Is there... Um... In Scandinavian countries, I heard. I think isn't someone's introducing a four-day work week. Mm. I, I hadn't heard I'm that. That sounds okay. great. I remember reading it somewhere. I should I should uh, double check my facts, but that would be exciting if someone starts it, because then everyone else could just follow suit. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. One of the Scandinavian countries is going that route. Yeah. So we'll have to look into it. Yeah, check in next week. We'll have some more facts in terms of uh, a four-day work week. What do you think it is that drives the hustle, the hustle mentality? Uh, I think it genuinely, I think it's a little bit about like the American dream kind of thing, right? Okay. Or even, yeah, like I, I had read a book a while ago. It's probably not applicable anymore because it was probably 15 years ago, but it was talking about business and how business had changed. And at first it was about um, having a product, like somebody would need something and, and you would have that product and then you would get a sale. And then it was, oh, now there's competitors. So there's more than one person who has this product. So now it was, well, what about my product versus your product? And then there was um, your what was after that customer service and then it became about experience and and whatnot but um the reason i'm bringing this up is because i feel like both of our countries have had huge like immigration which i think is a good thing but i i think there's been this drive to grow and be better and then there's this natural competition within businesses and whatnot of like how do i become stable and consistent and and all the rest of it but um i think a lot of core pieces of happiness and connection have been lost throughout that process. And now when you're looking at like, how do you be successful or like, if you want to be a business owner, what do you have to do? And you have to do the grind to, yeah. to get there. Right. Yeah. Um, or yeah. Like 
having to work harder, the amount that you work, that whole American dream of like the harder you work, the more it's going to pay off. Yep. But that's unfortunately not necessarily true if you're of a person of a certain demographics, right? Like that works really well for certain populations, but not for everyone. Some people can work really, really hard, but they still won't have that leg up, right? No, nope. kind of faulty. And have to work multiple jobs and earn what someone might. And yeah, like totally. No, I agree. Yeah, definitely a push, like a social cultural piece to it where um, certain certain aspects of life are emph- overemphasize the importance of having material goods. Mm-hmm. It's a huge definitely. thing. But also, I know this is not quite psychology, but it definitely impacts our, our health and well-being is the growing gap there. So to your point, Joe, just you have to work extra hard now. You have to have two or three jobs to mm-hmm. to, to get by because there was a time I, th- I I feel where you could have a good paying job and have decent hours and still support your family and send the kids to college and all those things. So I guess the the whole idea of the declining middle class. Mm-hmm. That too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you get a, a a one one household earner uh with a stable job and a pension like you know because it'd be paid for the rest of your life if you work here for 20 years something like that so yeah there certainly that has changed and and i definitely think there's the mythology here of the harder you work the the more you'll the more successful you'll be and i think that's reinforced now like there's such an entrepreneurial culture here, you know, where start your own business, do your own thing, you know, form your own company or your own tech company, whatever it might be, your own startup. And when you do that, you have to pour everything of your life into that. And if you're not, then you're not giving it your all. You're not really dedicated. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, that doesn't really jive with uh, what we in psychology look at as being health, you know, as far as balance goes, right? Yeah. We may come by this quite naturally though yeah it's uh taking it quickly back to the olympics it's interesting to say i think with all the simone stuff just because someone there's a post that was shared by someone on facebook and it was um they shared it from someone else but it was a father who ended up showing his kids um i guess i don't know 96 olympics i don't remember that but carrie Strug, did you see that bro yeah so it was a dad who wanted to show his kids. So I guess Carrie Strug was a U.S. Olympian who hurt her ankle um, in the vaulting. And she ended up still doing it hurt and won the gold medal. But that was her retirement. She was injured. She couldn't do anything. Um, and he showed it back. And he's like, I was looking forward to showing them. And at the end, the kids, you know, as he found he was watching it, he found himself almost like feeling a bit like, ooh, like sick to his stomach a bit. Because something that he once saw is you know, someone dominating and pushing through and doing it. Um, he now saw as someone going beyond their means and hurting themselves. And his girls were like, well, why did she go again? Why didn't she stop? And, you know, her saying, I can't do it or I'm really hurt. And the coach still pushing her. Like, it was just interesting how he then viewed it in a different way. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's an important thing because that was a, a lot of pressure and something yeah it gives a little insight oh i remember watching that i remember exactly it's one of those moments where you remember exactly where you were you know i remember Mm -hmm. the couch i was sitting on in this smelly apartment i was sharing with two guys and we're watching the olympics oh it was great (laughs) (laughs) watching on this horrible tv barely you know rabbit ears hardly coming and there's there's carrie strug and she totally injured twisted her ankles 
She gets back up there and her coach, who's known for being hard driving, pushing her too hard. She's like, I got to do it. She did it and she landed it. She stuck the landing and it was a huge moment. But you're absolutely right. I would view that through different eyes now, you know, like, wow, she was in tears. She was in absolute pain and agony at the end of that. The photo attached to this post, like just seeing the photo is what caught my eye to read the caption. I don't know if that was for you too, Joanna, but like Mm -hmm. the anguish on her face is, uh, yeah, like I just can't even imagine Mm-hmm. Now, as an adult, thinking about all of my clients who might be her age, or like, I, yeah, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, but- yeah, it's an interesting reading back, and there he's even saying like her vaulting wasn't even necessary to clinch the gold, and you know, it's just the necessary, like the necessity of it didn't seem to be there. But you know, I guess you could look at it different ways. But it's just interesting. Yeah, I'm sports. Sports are kind of filled with those, though. Totally. Like, like, like yeah. there's there's the Michael Jordan flu game. There's a game where he was really sick with the flu in a in a uh, playoff game, and he came out and played anyway, and <laughs> played anyway. Probably contagious. Gave half the other team whatever he had early early Corona, whatever it was. But um, played the game, and and yeah, we just at least as a culture, we've loved that. You know, look at the sacrifice this person's willing to make, you know, risking life and limb in order to uh, help the team succeed. You know, he inspired a lot of people, perhaps. I'm sure he did inspire a lot of people. I mean, it's it's known as the flu game. But did it also encourage the shoulds for a lot of people like, oh, I'm feeling depressed. I should be able to get up because look what he can do when he has the flu. Mm -hmm. I should be able to do whatever. But like, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I think the values, what we're valuing is getting pretty mixed up. Yep. Interesting. It is. Is there time for an ambush today or should we just keep on talking about this? (laughs) By the way, I want to throw this in. Uh, The fact checkers just told me that Sweden, Iceland, and soon to be Spain will be having a four day work week. Hence, oh, so that's a few different places. That's great. yeah, a few different places. So it's it's spreading. So look look around for a four day work week coming to you soon. Who knows? So so technically, Joanna said a Scandinavian country. It's actually multiple Scandinavian countries plus Spain. So yeah, I was keeping track at home. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm already got my participation ribbon ready. <laughs> I, I knew it would be. <laughs> I figured. I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You were correct. Okay. Yes. Mark your scorecards, everybody. And let's get ready for the ambush where one of us knows the topic, three of us don't. And tonight, the owner of the topic is uh, vying for the gold medal, is Chris Boyd. Let's see what you got All served right. up for it's us. Coming your way. Here we go. Okay. Uh, okay, here it is. This is from Chris. Uh, Chris wasn't here last week, so um, there may be some overlap. So here's Chris's question. You guys ready? Okay. What is reality? 
is what we perceive reality or just a construct in our minds? Just kidding. <laughs> that was well, Christmas Whoa, deja vu would have been a good topic. That was oh, deja darn. vu. It should have been deja vu. All right. That was Believe Chris's that joke. Credit him for that one. That was Chris's joke. That was. <laughs> I was, was like, those... Joanna just came back to like gold here. If she yeah. called it, yeah. <laughs> Is it deja vu? That's yeah. great. Yes, for those who maybe clinch your metal. Yeah. Didn't hear last week's. That was exactly last week's topic. So you can listen last week for that one, which we nailed. Okay. Uh, so here's the real here's the real topic. Let's talk about evolutionary psychology. <laughs> what I lessons of you for that last week? Yes. <laughs> what lessons, if any, can our ancient ancestors teach us about wellness? Evolutionary psychology, everybody in the house. What a Chris right. topic. I like mentioned it and Ryan's like, does Chris talk about evolutionary psychology? I'm like, all the time. That is what you talk about. I know technically we're not, you know, experts when it comes to evolutionary psychology and biology, but we can speculate a bit on this one. I'm sure it will create some good conversation, but a bit of context. Anatomically similar Homo sapiens have existed for at least... 180,000 years, what can they teach us? Some think not much. Since we are so advanced, we just sent the Bezos and the rocket to space. What the heck can these old ancient ancestors teach us about anything? We are far more advanced than them. So let's throw it out there. Let's have a, let's see if there's some, some wisdom there over the course of, I guess, evolution for millions of years, but anatomically similar Homo sapiens to us for uh, around 200,000 years. Okay. Evolutionary... My... What's that, Joe? I was going to say, I'm going to get my ribbon back, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. It's all set. Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. I'm just joking, kind of. No, it's 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 an interesting field, actually. And we, we probably need to define it even a little more because um, it's it's complex. Honestly... I went all the way through graduate school and uh, never learned about evolutionary psychology, but was in practice for several years and never learned about evolutionary psychology. I didn't learn about it until, gosh, half a dozen years after I graduated, I started writing and there was uh, on, the, on the Psychology Today website, and there were a few bloggers who were blogging about evolutionary psychology. And I was like, okay, what is, what is this? And it's, it's really an interesting field. It's, it's interesting. It's a little controversial. We got to throw that in there. Yeah. And it's also, it's highly theoretical in that there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, we can't really pinpoint like biological bases for a lot of these things. Maybe some we can, but, but not a lot. There's a lot of speculation, but it's, it's kind of fun that way, actually. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of what makes it interesting. As we define it a little bit more, you'll see what I mean. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, Ryan. So um, I think I took an evolutionary psych course somewhere in there, but then often in courses, there was like an evolutionary component to different things. So um, abnormal psych would have it in there, right? Where it's oh, like, really? okay, yeah. So the little clusters, like here are your different areas we're going to learn about. And then what is the evolutionary psychology take on this? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it was by the time. So for listeners, Ryan probably went through school eight years, maybe before we did. 
Sure. Um, yeah, so it was probably a maybe like because there was an evolution are, of psychology happening there where now suddenly absolutely. we're talking about evolutionary psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, eight years or so isn't very long. Right. So between when you went through and when I went, I don't know if that was the case for you guys too, but there was definitely elements of the evolutionary psychology and every element, like it was just a vein that went through where you're like, okay, now speculate from this lens. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there may have been some of that that was maybe it wasn't termed evolutionary psychology, but I think people talked about it in terms of like survival brain might be one of those things, right? Where where we talk about how, you know, our fight or flight response is something that may mm-hmm. may go way back into um, into prehistoric times when we were when our threats were actually physical threats of violence to us, and how our body would respond in a very physical way with an adrenaline rush and the heart rate rising and all that stuff. Um, whereas today, in in this point in history. Uh, not all of our threats are physical violence. Uh, a lot of our threats are emotional or, you know, sociological, something like that. Oh, she's They're not even threats often, like a, really a threat to our livelihood as a, yeah. we're not uh-huh. going to die from the threat. Right. For sure. Right. So our, but our response is like this evolutionary artifact, right. Where this artifact from the past where we're, we're responding in a physical way to something that's not even physical. Right. So we might have talked about that, but, uh, but I know there's a lot more to evolutionary psychology. Let's hear more. Again, it's theoretical, of course, but <clears throat> there's a great book out there called Sapiens. I know Ryan's read it before and it speculates on some of these things, but about 40,000 years ago, there's something called a cognitive revolution. So Homo sapiens developed what we would maybe commonly refer to as our mind. You know, um, so we had the ability to, um, to anticipate harm and danger, to reason, to, to join ideas together within our minds. So apparently all the other animals out there, I'm not sure how the heck they could figure this out, are all within the moment, right? So if there's a threat within the moment, they rely on fight and flight and freeze. But for us, we have the ability to anticipate those things that can happen. And apparently it's um, even like Neanderthals who roam the world around the same time as Homo sapiens, they suggest to me they didn't have this ability. So we had this I guess you call it like a black swan event where we developed this mind then that no other species did. Another interesting thing I've learned is that if fight or flight or freeze works for you, if you're able to remain safe and secure within reason, then you, you kind of stop, you kind of plateau a bit in terms of evolving, oh. uh, which is interesting, right? So monkeys, um, some of our closest primates, they existed around the same time uh, around that, but we kind of continued on through this cognitive revolution, whereas they didn't, right? They didn't come close to it because um, they could protect themselves more. They can climb trees quicker. They can evade. So, you know, I, I would even suggest that our mind was developed not for, for necessarily for collaboration or for love and all those things that we rely on today. It was more so for protection, for safety, right? So... Huh. When things are kind of quiet, our minds will think of or anticipate bad things happening. Um, whereas other animals, mammals, primates didn't really have that magical ability, right? Neat. Um, <laughs> I'm curious though, if you look at some major 
like uh, I feel that if we have this magical, this, this great mind that was developed over the course of evolution, this kind of black swan event, um, and a byproduct of that is we can conceptualize things in sophisticated ways and collaborate and um, we can do things creatively. Um, I feel that sometimes we overcomplicate things. Maybe I'm by myself on this one. So we have all these really complicated theories and all these ideas. So I'm curious if there's actually some wisdom there from the past that we should maybe be focusing on more. One that is we know is important is important, the importance of connection, of course. Mm. So it kind of remains a uh, one of the best predictors of well-being, right? Or in our preamble wow. today, talking about hard work. I don't think there's any enduring culture that, of course, um, according to Leonard Sachs, that um, that honors cowards over hardworking people, right? So if someone gave you something and you didn't earn it, then is that satisfying? Maybe not, right? For the connection piece, Chris, is it uh, like, because I know when we talked about, oh my gosh, the book, um, the loneliness book, what's it called? Together. <laughs> Together. Thank you. Um, but, you know, didn't, you know, you talk about how just, I don't know, when back when people lived in, in bigger groups or, you know, tribal settings or in villages, right? There's always people around and just kind of that connection, like you said, and even the saying, it takes a village and you always, everyone had their roles. And so um, just that need for connection was so important. It was important for survival because, um, you know, you're stronger in numbers. And then, yeah, that's what I thought of there. So I think you oh, also yeah. said, yeah, two things there too. You, you also talked about contributing, right? Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But it's also, I mean, it's not a crazy new concept about being tribal. I mean, people talk about, have been talking about that for a really long time, but um, now it's coming to the point where there's like micro tribes. So before you were belonged to a tribe, maybe we belong to a tribe of therapists, psychotherapists, but that now there's so many psychotherapists that we have to find a micro tribe. So are we um, Adlerian therapists? Are we Canadian? Are we female? Are we what, like, what are we to even break it down more so that you have a close knit tribe where we all look after each other? Um, and so that's a, a piece of the connection to you. I think evolutionary psychology is fascinating. And I think it, it, in my mind, it must be extremely applicable because our brains evolved from it. So there was a starting point and there's going to be things that have saved in there for whatever reason throughout generations and years and, and whatnot. And the connection is beyond us, beyond what we know, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think that there's a lot of things there. I'm, I'm really, I think we talked about it at some point during a podcast, but I'm interested in exercise psychology as well. And so I think evolutionary perspective plays a role there too. Like we were meant to move. We were hunters, we were gatherers, we were in nature our bodies were meant to move and now we're leading a very sedentary life. Like we're just, we're sitting around a lot. And so what is going on there? Like, I don't think that's good for our body and I don't think that's good for our brain because it's very much connected. So it's, yeah, I think that there's gonna to be tons of elements, whether it's our fear response, our brain body connection, um, just social connection and being tribal. Um, yeah. 
I think we get lost from it. When we get lost from those principles, I feel that often clients feel like a balloon in the sky. They're not very grounded. And then when you get them back to those, those elements, they feel more rooted. So they're, yeah, I'm curious about yeah. that, right? Yeah. Maybe let me, if I can chime in just for a second here on, on what makes this, some of these theories, some of the theorists a little more controversial, mm -hmm. um, which oftentimes has to do with, with how they speak of gender and some of the, some of the ways that gender has been created and reinforced through the ages and how that may have evolutionary roots. Um, and basing this on one of those fellow bloggers I was mentioning before, um, Satoshi Kanazawa and Alan Miller, there's a book called Why Beautiful People Have More Daughters, which is interesting look at how uh, they, they explore just a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different components of, of evolutionary psychology, and particularly having to do with, with uh, gender. So they ask questions like, why are most neurosurgeons male and most kindergarten teachers female? Why aren't there more women on death row? Why do so many male politicians ruin their careers with sex scandals? Uh, why and how do we fall in love? So all of these things that are, they're taking a, certainly not a non-politically correct view of, uh, of this and take kind of running these questions through this uh, evolutionary psychology lens. And some interesting things they talk about, like how uh, kind of traditional attractiveness is uh, often run through this, this idea of evolution, like what's, and, and evolution is based on uh, the, the multiplication of the species, right? Help, helping people to, to procreate. And so attractiveness and fertility uh, tend to correlate and fertility tends to correspond with certain features in people like youth and uh, uh, you know, some, of the, some of the traditionally attractive features we see from, for males and females tend to have a youthful look and that's, you know, corresponds to higher fertility rates in, in younger people. Mm. Um, why, you know, why women, you know, women's body types or, or how they, what their shapes and how, how young or old they look uh, relates to that. And also how men in the more kind of protective, um, you know, can you provide for me? Can you protect me? Do you have the muscles and things to kind of protect our, our cave or whatever in, in evolutionary security term. yeah yeah a sense of security and can you can you provide and can you have this security and they're talking about this being really rooted in thousands of years of evolution uh which is again and they go into it in intimate detail I mean, even talking about why the reason why some people or why we tend to find blue eyes more attractive than than brown eyes or green eyes or dark eyes and that they, they say, well, maybe that's because in blue eyes, you're able to distinguish the pupil uh, easier. And, and when someone's attracted to somebody, the pupil dilates and you can tell just by looking at someone whether or not they're more interested in you. And that being an evolutionary feature that helps someone find uh, another person more attractive, more res oh. responsive, receptive, you know? So there's so many different theories that, that come out of this. And again, they're all theories, uh apolitical theories uh they're not meant to to push an agenda they're just ideas of why uh why we are who we are and and, and why we do what we do but i'd take a look at that book if you have any interest in this topic it's it's really uh illuminating 
Why, why beautiful people tend to have well, why beautiful people have more daughters. Yeah, interesting. And then Leonard, uh, I guess Leonard Sachs has got a book called Boys Adrift. He talked about that how for 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 boys there's often this sense that you want to have a thrill, you want to go out, and some have this this will to power to to compete, right? And how that could have some evolutionary uh, roots to it. And how a lot of them actually find that through video games because they find powerless to do so in their regular lives. So you, you, you game and you can go out there and shoot things and, and compete and, and be part of something and it gives them a sense of achievement accomplishment, right? That you don't really get today or uh, maybe it's not as easy to get that in, in everyday life. But, sure. um, but hard work though. You know, we talked about that in the preamble. If I go back to that a bit, like if something was given to you, it doesn't have that same sense of satisfaction, right? Um, sure. So, so through effort and hard work, it seems like that is rewarding, right? Um, versus, yeah, just um, um, not engaging in something that gives you meaning and purpose. So the whole idea of contribution, doing something that impacts that tribe or impacting people around you, for instance, could potentially have those evolutionary roots too. I think, wasn't there a scene in, in one of the early Jurassic parks where there's a, uh, they've got like a lamb or a sheep or something kind of tied up to a post and that's, that's supposed to feed the, the T-Rex. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the scientist guys like saying, that's not the way it, you know, the T-Rex is a hunter. It doesn't want to just have something served up to him. And what's to go and, you know, hunt something yeah. and kill it, you know? Yeah. And so evolution, <laughs> maybe as we uh, evolve from, from lower forms to, to the, the higher ones we are now, maybe that's a remnant. We want to be able to chase something and conquer something and have that sense of accomplishment, right? Something, yeah. instead of just having something handed to us, which a lot of people might prefer, but other people get a lot more out of achieving something and accomplishing it. Oh, we, want to sure. kill, we want to hunt and kill that lamb. We don't want to just have it handed to us. Would you suspect too that uh, there's probably a closer connection between the generations, and mentorship and whatnot? Uh, seems like something that we've gotten away from in our culture, uh, Western culture. You mean evolutionary-wise, that we would be more connected generationally? Is that what? Well, maybe there's more of a maybe that's something we should be focusing on more, based on interconnectedness of of that tribe, right? Whereas now we're more individualistic, or we don't have a stronger connection to the older generation like maybe before. Well, define older generation from not long ago, right? Like exactly, Ryan would be us an extreme senior. Like the oh, yeah. life average life expectancy, I think, was much, much, much lower yeah. than what it is now. So um true. Yeah. That's that's true. I wonder if that would be relative or not, or but um but there was like through folklore like the the a greater connection to the elders of that tribe right there were ones of wisdom that would pass down information or skills or stories and um yeah which we don't necessarily do now as much yeah it's almost like the life stages have been elongated though like if you were a senior citizen you were old if you were 35 to 40 and you died by 40 or 42 or that might even be longer than what actually was the case um versus now 
your senior stage of life is like technically like 65 until death, but it might actually be more like 70 or 75 until like a hundred. It's uh, sure. kind of stretched out and same with like, what is the concept of youth back then? It, it, like decades ago, a youth would be like what 11 or 12 to 17 or 18 at 18, you were moving out, getting married, having babies. And now youth is until you're 25, 27. I think 30. considering it 30, the current 30. youth is 30 up to 30. Yeah. So these life developmental stages or what we're creating a subjective developmental stage, we're stretching those out and the definitions of those like Erickson's stages are not the same anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Point. yeah. Great point. I think you just earned yourself a few points on the, uh, on the podium there, Brooke. Thanks Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about, uh, patience? The trait that, um, they're saying the younger generation is having a harder time, um, enhancing in their lives. Um, there's so much. But they're like overscheduled. Like, yeah. so who's, who's not just overscheduled, but there's no, there's, there's no reason. I, I went with, went with my son to a, a, a doctor's appointment not too long ago. Right. And he's like, and we were, we were going and we were, we knew we we're going to have to sit in the waiting room for a while. And he's like, um, dad, do you have your phone? And I said, no, I, I didn't. I left my phone in the car. He's like, you mean we're gonna have to sit in the waiting room for like 15 minutes and just do oh. nothing? <laughs> like, yeah, that is there's a magazine here. Like, yeah. Yeah, dude, we can sit. You know, there's 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 very little uh space for that that sort of you know, when we talk about patience, you know, just sitting and waiting, you know. Yes. I haven't been to Disneyland or a music park for very long in a long time, but I would imagine those those lines look a lot different than they did a few years ago. It's probably just everyone looking at their phone. Yes, yeah. it's modern day waiting and patience. But I think patience was so important in an evolutionary perspective because you were going to be hunting. And what do you do when you hunt? Apparently you sit and watch. Like you have to be mindful. You have to be observant. You have to be quiet. Focused, still. Quiet. Yeah. You got to sit there and be. And, uh, and we don't. I think people try to do that. I think that's why mindfulness took off. People want to yeah. learn how to just be, how to be still. Yeah, we're definitely getting away from that. We're talking about sure. a huge amount of time here where we relied on that practice, right? So are you proposing that um, because of modern day life or circumstance that that is toying or messing with our natural inclination to be patient? I'm saying there's a reason why certain things are rewarded and certain things lead to a sense of satisfaction. But patience isn't rewarded. Well, right now it's not, but I'm thinking if you do practice patience, you become good at patience and that definitely is rewarded, right? Like delaying gratification or being able to sit, it's very uncomfortable for people based on the overstimulation, but mm -hmm. I'm just Being a parent, you have to be patient. Yeah. But, uh, you know? Yeah, I'm just saying maybe that's something we need to focus on a bit more. Yeah. Uh, if you look at through that lens that you just mentioned, right? 
or even um, not just hunting farming. Now I'm thinking of other patients. Thing. I was just thinking I was, I don't know how I ended up reading this, but how to grow an avocado tree from a seed. And I gave up on it because Joanna's already kind of chuckling at the, have you looked this up already, Joanna? No. Anyway, it takes like 15 years before it gives you any avocados. Wow. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to grow the avocado tree. 15 years sounds like way too long. But um, yeah, if you were, you were farming, that's where my mind went. And I was like, that would be another great example of patience, right? You would have to harvest, tend to crops before you could actually or not harvest crops but you would have to tend to crops before you could harvest the crops right mm-hmm. yeah for sure i love the idea that that you know some some guy you know some hunter in a duck blind in wyoming may be a, a better mindfulness master than uh than a lot of us city dwellers you know it, it might be onto something right yeah, yeah. It might be onto something or you know like people talk about like fishing like the the kind of the Zen fly of, of fly fishing and that, you know, very, very much a patience and, um, you know, stillness and calmness and all of that. It's very much a part of that. And the connection to nature too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, which we know, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I'm just a nature writer. Of course, we know again that that is extremely important. More and more research coming out, emphasizing that, but that's probably something we should have known for a long time, right? Sure. So I was going to say this all kind of wraps back to our preamble of mm. hustle culture and how it's the guy that might be out fly fishing or duck hunting who's not wrapped up in can I work harder, longer, sacrifice. He's being in the moment. He's being present. And whether sure. or not he's more or less psychologically healthy or happier is quality of life, I don't know. Yeah. Because then people make a hustle culture over being connected to being mindful or whatever, right? That becomes their business. I do think it's got to be a balance. I guess there's so much you can break that down in so many different ways, right? Again, contributing and developing a sense of safety and security is important. But but mindfulness, though, like we're talking earlier about how danger moved from the physical world to the psychological world, right? That divergence of danger. Mm-hmm. So again, it really does highlight the importance of mindfulness. Instead of focusing on the what ifs and all these potential dangers you have zero control over, it's become a lot more complicated. It seems um, the importance of getting back in that moment, right? And let's just—I want to hit that point once again because this is something I end up talking with clients about quite a bit. Like, you know, imagine that you're going to go and ask your boss for a raise, right? And and what happens? What happened for many people? What happens in your body at that at that time? You know, you're waiting beforehand. Your thoughts are kind of racing. Uh, maybe you break a little sweat. Your uh, your you know, your heartbeat is up. Your your blood pressure's up. All of these very physical things are happening. And what does that have to do with you saying, "Hey there," you know, I've worked here for a while. I was wondering if maybe it's time for me to get a raise. You know, that's. There's, there's no actual physical threat going on, but the body is reacting so physically in that moment. And, and what's it doing? It's amping things up for this fight or flight moment where you can either, you know, fight back or run away really quickly, whatever that might be. And, and that's really what that, that response is. And I know I touched on this before, but I, I just, I think it, it bears repeating because people are oftentimes wondering, 
why am I breathing so fast? Why am I, you know, and it's because we're, we're responding to a threat. And when you can help your mind see this is not a physical threat, you know, I'm just asking a question. It's not that, you know, and to, let me calm my body. Let me soothe my body in some ways and let me re realize that I'm not in any physical, any physical danger right now, I'm not in any harm. Sometimes that helps to, to calm the system down. Yeah, no, for sure. sure. Mm -hmm. I often try to reframe it and say anxieties. I think it's our superpower. I don't, I don't know uh, what you guys think, but would you rather go camping in an area with lions and roaming close by or bears? Um, we evolved from a very dangerous place surrounded by some pretty dangerous predators, right? We weren't fast enough to get away from them. We can strong enough to fight them off. We're going to climb trees quick enough like the monkeys. So I think our, ability to anticipate what may happen next was the difference maker, right? It just goes wild on us. Uh, is it, uh, I forget the psychologist, his last name's Reed, or maybe his first name's Reed, Reed Wilson, maybe? He was like, uh, ask yourself, uh, is this a, a, a sign or a signal of danger? Or danger or is it noise, right? And often it's just that noise. Um, we're overestimating the likelihood of something bad happening, so. The importance of that mindfulness is needs to be emphasized over and over and over again. I'll make another pitch as well. What about song and dance? What about it? What about? Well, I think it's been suggested that it has potential evolutionary roots. Have a lot to do with social bonding and connecting. Mm. You're not going to go out and hunt all day or collect things and all day. I think there's a, a lot of connecting going on, but some people feel that this stems back many, 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 many years, right? Even just the, the sensation, like we learned this at the symposium, the sensation of humming or singing triggers that vagal nerve will calm us down, right? And then the dancing, why is it so, it continues to be extremely prevalent in all these different cultures, right? Should we be recommending that people get out there and dance more and sing more? Mm -hmm. I do. I do recommend it almost to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pajama dancing is myself. I was like, do it by yourself. Sing into the hairbrush. Doesn't matter. Get the body moving. Have a chuckle. Release that energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was important. I think it was there. I think that's part of everyone's heritage where there was singing, dancing, instrumental, there's something going on there. But I remember in an evolutionary psychology blurb somewhere, who was it? I can't remember, anyway. But they were talking about um, dancing, it's like the bees. So the bees when they're flying, or that's like their little mating dance when they're buzzing around and they're like, look at yeah. my moves, do you wanna get with me? And they're like, and that's what humans are doing when they're dancing. They're like, check me out. Look at my moves. Are you ready for this? <laughs> and so it's like, we're like little bees just out there on the dance floor looking for a little bumblebee mate. Yeah, that kind of social bonding. I had a client actually a couple of days ago. He has uh, Cuban roots. He's been on Cuba many times. And he was saying the cool kids down in Cuba listen to music and they dance in the streets. Oh. Cool kids up here in uh, Vancouver or Surrey listen to hardcore music and do social deviant things like <laughs> drugs and, and whatnot. So mm. interesting tidbit there. Yeah. Kind of building on what you were saying there, Brooke. 
a lot of good mind body connection right being in touch with your body or understanding your breath or your strength and and learning about muscle i don't know yeah just fun. have to be in tune and it's fun for sure we have to all dance i don't know what happened i you know when i was in high school and we'd have our high school dances and stuff like that <laughs> i had such a great time just you know and it was like all of me and all my buddies and all our friends and stuff we'd all be out on the dance floor it was it was a very active social dancing thing and oftentimes we, we none of us were great dancers we were just trying to make each other laugh and do silly moves and all of that but now in my my middle age here i i have a hard time getting out there to dance i gotta say i'll dance i'll dance sometimes with my kids in the living room we'll, we'll do little five minute dance parties or something like that but social dancing is it's hard even at a oh. wedding that's true. You're the, talking uh, to some social dancers. At the yeah. symposium, though, Ryan. So the oh. symposium, the conference you go to, we met many years ago. That's right. True. Ryan's a little apprehensive about getting out there for the, what do they call it? The, uh, the, the dance, dance party. party. Friday oh, night dance, dance party. party. That's right. Yeah, you guys have Friday seen this in action. I'm like, uh, I think I'll stay on the wallflower yeah. side But you know here. what? There's like like a vibe there. So like normally I'm all about, yeah, let's get out there and move your body. But the dance party at the symposium I don't, I don't know there's something just off but joanna really jumped in there a few years <laughs> and uh it was contagious or she was being very militant about it she called me out pointed a finger called my name i jumped right very in true jumped yeah. in <laughs> joanna was a catalyst for that one yeah instead of observing um joanna she was in made it. us participants immediately yeah you know, even in my 20s and 30s, I mean, there are people who'd be like, hey, let's go dancing tonight. You know, hey, we're all going to go dancing. I just. Yeah. What about a, a wedding? That. Do you go? Yeah. Do you dance? Because yeah. weddings are uh, and usually dancing is a big component of it. I think dancing might be. Uh, I, I think I've danced at some weddings. I have danced at some weddings, certainly my own and certainly some others uh, good friends and things like that. I think it has to do with the crowd a little bit and the vibe. Maybe that's it. There, You had a special song at one of the symposiums me this is totally just like random talk now for the listeners we went in and then you requested a song i did you're like if they play the song then i'll dance the song and that's the only time i've seen you dance at the symposium and i don't remember what song it was that rings a bell yeah was you took off your leather coat and you went on the dance floor and you had a great time i might have done that yeah and we came in from the side we didn't come in from like yeah. down the big cascading stairs we were sitting like on the sideline i forgot and i requested it even it. yeah i think you requested it and you're like this is it and then you you went out there it might have been it might have been push it might have been salt and pepper push it oh that's uh, a great song it's a classic yeah that's a classic <laughs> that's a, i have a hard time not dancing to that song that's a good one do you do the running man <laughs> we'll keep that in mind <laughs> oh boy yeah. anywho, anywho everyone what's I your dance song less. Email us at info at Tell us your favorite dance song. What's the song that will get you on the dance floor? Okay. This is great stuff, Chris. Um, is You were talking about the bees. I mean, is dancing oftentimes a, a mating ritual or, or not always? That's what, they're, that's what this one professor at some point in my education yeah. was proposing, that it's the mating dance, right? Yeah. And then I, I chuckled after that because I was viewing everyone as little bumblebees doing these little sure. mating dances. Well, because you're also releasing like sweat and pheromones and 
totally. body emotions and you're kind of exposing yourself there. Yeah. Well, my my neighborhood is filled with peacocks, so it's probably the most pronounced mating ritual you could ever see with the plumage and the way they, they do a dance. They have a little shaky thing that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I had uh, one other question. Sure. I've been pondering. Anxiety makes sense. You anticipate harm and danger. Defense mechanism is you avoid. A lot of people get sucked into it. It works against them. So why the heck do we feel depressed? How is depression still a prevalent thing? How is that um, throughout the course of evolution? How is that something that was continued to be passed on? Um, That's a great point. What's what's the evolutionary function of depression? If if or, there is one. And also, well, we can understand why depression and disconnection from others. But uh, so anxiety, again, helps us avoid, which kind of makes sense within the context. But depression often leads to us shutting down and, and not engaging, doing the opposite of the things we should be doing to make ourselves feel better. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. So we understand maybe why depression could be a thing. Uh, disconnection is we've talked a lot about that. Sure. You think it would, you know, we'd be motivated to to do what we need to do to to connect or do something that's more adaptive, something that would help us thrive. But I mean, does it have something to do with the hopeless, helpless part of it all? Like, uh, you know, learned the, helplessness or learned helplessness piece of like, well, I've tried, uh, I've tried all the avenues I can imagine and none of them seem to work. So I might as well just kind of sit down yeah. and take it kind of stop trying. Yeah. it's a really good point. I, I wonder if like, when you feel that disconnection at first, there is that drive to connect and you do everything you can to do so. But if it, if you continue to be discouraged, maybe in yeah. his younger formative years, you eventually say, no, it's not working for me. Right. If the doors keep getting slammed in your face, you know, and that's, that feels even more painful. So I'm going to stop trying and just kind of, yeah. I'll deal with the, the depression instead of the rejection. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Hmm. I also think, uh, or read this too, that, those who are depressed or even anxious too, they tend to be very analytical people. And they figure that uh, over the years, maybe that was helpful to not have divert, uh, distractions, that you need time and a space to analyze a hell out of whatever it is that's going on. And maybe these people, you know, those folks experiencing depression maybe helped in incredible ways to, you know, the bigger picture stuff, right? Trying to problem solve those difficult situations. but. As life's gone on, of course, that divergence of danger, things have become a lot more complicated. You know, have less and less control over the outcome. But throw that out there too. Very analytical, amazing thinkers, but sometimes that kind of works against our those folks who are feeling depressed. There's another piece to this too, and I saw. I have to try to find out where I saw this. There's kind of a continuum of like an empathy continuum, and and it it actually put. Um, uh depressive folks on this on this on the scale of extreme uh internal empathy meaning kind of a self-focus but also a real focus on how bad things are for me right Mm. and so that kind of makes you ruminate and kind of makes you go over and over of oh my life is so i'm so stuck things are so bad for me and it's hard to get out of yourself that's why a lot of times one of the you know one of the many interventions that people use for 
for someone who's depressed is to volunteer or to do something that's, you know, where you're giving, where you're focusing on someone else's uh, issues and, and able to give and provide something helpful for them or gratitude lists even, you know, try to really push yourself to focus on what's, what's good in life. Mm-hmm. Because when you're really focused on like, like microscopically focused on what are all the bad things going on in my life, that feels pretty bleak and pretty hopeless. For sure. Oh, great point. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I like all that. So should we have a dance party? Yes. Throw on some salt and pepper. (laughs) Okay, everybody, let's have a dance party. (laughs) Oh, I'm wearing like pajama bottoms under here. (laughs) I'm not standing up. Okay, good. (laughs) An upper body dance party. Okay, one second. I'm going to get the song. Okay. It's coming. Ready? Ready. Oh, you have to lift it up again, Chris. Listen up. Oh, oh that sounds great. Remix here. Oh wow! I feel so much better just having dance in my chair for twenty seconds. Perfect. That's great. I love it. Thank you, Chris. Thank -hmm. you, Chris, for a great topic. This is illuminating. There's so much. Again, one of these where there's so much more to say, right? So many more, so many more avenues to travel down. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we talked about anxiety and depression, but we could probably talk about a dozen other different uh, evolutionary theories of, of different issues that people deal with, right? So I guess with that, though, we will put a bow on it for now. And, and we'll say good night, right, guys? That good with you? Sounds good. That's good. Sounds good. Okay. Well, let's uh, bring it close to our evolutionary and Olympic edition of the podcast here. Uh, please like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions and votes and favorite dance songs to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend, tell an international friend. How about that in the spirit of the Olympics? About us. Especially friends in Scandinavian countries who only work four days a week. And Spain. Since we're only working four days a week, they can listen to us on the fifth day. Perfect. And for that, we will say good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.